tough, you have to be ethical. You wouldn't think it's too much to ask that women be paid the same amount as men for doing the same job. We really do need journalists who will act without fear or favour. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. Journalism has changed uh, so much, particularly in recent times. Former TV news journalist Claire Hunter spent most of her time behind the core press desk and talks with me about the power and important responsibility she felt covering that round and how moving into a new role in PR has been just as challenging. Women in Media presents Media Secrets. So Claire, thank you so much for um, joining me for Media Secrets. We can sort of start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself. You know, how would you describe yourself to people? Oh, gosh. Um, I like to think I'm funny, but I do do a lot of jokes that fall very flat. <laughs> <laughs> that one worked. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess I'm sort of, I'm pretty dedicated, but I like to think that I'm funny and a little bit down to earth. But I know that um, some of my flaws are that I can be really wired mm-hmm. and... Um, can get a bit stressed sometimes so that's certainly something I'm super aware of but um yeah I really like being active and out and about and uh I like to think I'm a good friend that's me hopefully (laughs) sounds lovely um the podcast is called media secrets so I guess tell me a secret that you think people in the industry may not know about Oh, people in the industry or people outside the people industry? People outside the industry, yeah. Okay. I think that people outside the industry think that there's so much glamour in TV and in media and I think that they get a rude shock when they learn things like sometimes we go nine hours without going to the bathroom or, yep. you know, that we um, – for the most part, do our own makeup in the car using a car mirror Um, (laughs) or that we haven't eaten for, um, you know, 12 hours or something like that. I don't think people realise that there's a lot of that background thing. They just sometimes, certainly Mm. when I was in um, a reporting role, Mm. they certainly think that it's just some, you know, blonde chick sitting up in front of the camera with her hair looking perfect, just saying lines. And um, I think that gets forgotten a lot of the time, I think, people think that you don't even write your own stories. And wow. I, I remember telling people, oh, I'm just writing the story. And they go, oh, you're just reading it. And you go, no, no, I'm no. writing it. I'm pulling <laughs> the whole thing together. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, um, that's, yeah, that's sort of something from that side of um, my career. But mm. uh, from the news side that I'm in now, um, I think it's much the same. I think it's, you mm. know, people think that uh, you're just out there as in a PR role, but they don't realise mm. that you're still telling stories. Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of people seem to be doing that jump, you know, from um, journalism into PR or comms. Um, why did you decide to do it? Oh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I decided to do it. And it's not just one, but mm. if I had to sort of pick an umbrella reason, it would just be I just was ready for a change. Mm. I um, had done... I'd done reporting for almost 10 years. I started yeah. uh, with Today Tonight when I was still at uni and then just worked the whole way through. And I just got to that point where I was thinking, I just need a break. Um, yeah. I wasn't um, happy with how I was at home. I wasn't um, friendly anymore to my poor husband. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't have enough sleep. I was yeah. getting really stressed and I couldn't figure out a way to get out of um, thinking like that when I was at yeah. work sometimes. And um, it just got to the point where I was thinking, hang on a minute, I'm, f- you know, heading towards 30. Uh, I've done this for almost a decade. Um, I'm not 
loving it as much as I was, Mm. um, is it time to just try something new for a while? And um, thankfully, um, I was approached for this job that I'm in now and it just all worked out timing wise. I was just ready to just try something new. And uh, so far it's paid off. So, And so did you ever find a way to manage your stress? Because I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, either in PR or in, um, you know, news do have, you know, really stressful jobs. Like it's just, it's just our industry, you know, and a lot of people um, have trouble managing that stress every day. Oh, totally. And it's such a a thing that I think um, we didn't talk about for such a long time. It was just like, you know, you are so lucky to be in this job. You need to just own it and stress isn't a thing. You just need to just push through. But um, I think it is, it is there and it is there on so many different levels. Mm. Um, for me, um, I exercise a lot. So, um, I just sink myself into exercise mm-hmm. and do that sort of stuff. I used to try and really switch off from work when, um, I got my weekends on my RDOs. So mm. that was a good way for me to balance that stress. Mm. But, um, in the end, uh, it was, it was chatting with friends who were in the industry and then chatting with friends who are outside the industry and trying to explain, um, the feelings that I was getting when I was really overwhelmed and really stressed and and how to best manage that. And I put some strategies in place um, to try and sort of uh, put work in one box, close that box when Mm. I'd um, leave work and go along in my life box. Mm. And that sort of works to a point. Um, And and it was really helpful for me. But at the end, I just sort of thought, nah, I just need to try something new and, and yeah. sink my teeth into something new because I was getting to that point where I was like, where to from here? Mm. And when when I was sitting at that crossroads, I was just like, okay, I've got, I can either keep going here, um, which is fine. I know this route. I know that I can um, work with it and, and figure it out. I can keep going this direction. Um, or I can try something new. And I guess at the point of my career where I was age-wise and everything and and where I was in my life, I just thought, nah, just do it. Let's Mm. just do something different, do something that scares you. So Mm. I thought, nah, I'll give it a go. And so where was that confidence to do that, to do exactly that, to make that jump? You know, do you feel like you had any confidence making the jump or was it more about just pushing yourself and just – saying, you know, I believe myself, I'm going to be able to make this work. I was so scared. Honestly, I was, it was weeks of thinking about it. Um, So I had thought, I'd had that feeling that something needed to change and I I needed Mm. to do something differently for a while, Mm. Um, for about about eight months to a year. It was sort of around the time of my wedding and then mm. um, honeymoon. But I thought, oh, no, it's just because you're stressed because of your wedding, Claire, you know, just yeah. get over yourself. You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it it just kept sitting with me and I just kept thinking, oh, you know, what am I doing? You know, mm. is this something I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Can I see myself doing something else? Do I want to just step away and try something new, put something else in my arsenal, mm-hmm. another skill? So um, it had the thought had been in my background for a really long time. But when push came to shove and, um, you know, I was sort of I got off of this job, it was like, right, you have to make a decision. So mm. 
I spent so many hours, countless hours, sitting at the back of my house with my husband just chatting about it. What would it mean? Um, you know, what would our life look like if I did this? How would I feel? Would I feel like a failure? Mm. Um, which is such a stupid thing to think. But, but it's, totally, it's totally reasonable yeah. at the time, right? Because you've worked totally. so hard to yeah. to get to where you were and to try something new. It's almost like taking on a completely different career. It, yeah, it, it was. And, like, um, I was just thinking like, oh, you know, you should be so lucky. You you made it. So many other girls don't get to make it. They they mm. want to be reporters. They want to be journalists and they don't make it. You did. How can you walk away? Mm. And it was like um, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't, you know, because I, I'm lucky to be here. But then I thought, no, I'm here because I worked hard and, yeah. you know, yeah, luck along the way, but I've done it. I'm happy where I are, where I am, sorry, and I've I've – achieved all the things I wanted to achieve. My goal was always work in a Metro newsroom. Mm. I did that. I became a senior reporter. I had a good round. I just thought, you know, where am I going to go from here? And actually I was chatting to another reporter friend of mine um, at work and she said to me, and I hope that I get this right, she said that she'd read somewhere that it's okay if you've worked really hard for something and you get there and you're not fulfilled, Mm. it's okay to feel like that. Mm. And that was such a relief. She told me that and I just went, oh, okay, Mm. I'm allowed to – I'm allowed to not be fully satisfied. And that that, to the point was, was, right, I'm going to do it. But having said that, you know, my last day at nine, I – had a great day, hung out with um, a couple of my reporter mates. Chief yeah. of staff was really good to me. Yeah. He told um, Emily Prane and Attila, uh, to, who was one of the cameramen, to take me out for coffee. Yeah. It was awesome. It was the best day. Um, and, you know, then we all went out for dinner at the end and I was just like, all oh, right, and uh, got back home and was chatting to my husband about it. And I just burst into tears. Wow. Because I was just like, I was so nervous. Yeah. What have I done? Oh, my gosh, I've done it, I've done it. Yeah. What am I doing? And... I'd also been given a um, one of the um, editors made me a show reel, which was really great of oh. him. So I was watching that, going, "Oh no, maybe it's a mistake. Maybe Is it's a mistake. Maybe yeah. it's a mistake." And I just thought, "Oh, what have I done?" And thankfully, I think I only had two days of not being a reporter before I was then yeah. um, in my new role, and. You know, it was it was hard the first week because I was thinking, still thinking, "What have I done? What have I done?" But as soon as I sunk my teeth into this new job, I was just like, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm okay. Yeah. And I still think to myself, look, I love this role and I love what I'm doing now, but I'm still in the media and I'm still in the group. I'm still chatting with everyone. I'm still meeting, making those contacts. Mm. I'm still telling stories. And if one day in the future, I would like to report again. I don't know where that will be, but you know, I, I, you know, I've still got that in my back pocket. I'm not, I haven't, you know, I'm not, you know, going to uni to learn how to be a teacher or anything like that. I'm still in the same world. Yeah. And so what do you think some of the biggest changes were for you then moving from, you know, news into PR? What were some of the biggest kind of differences where you thought, wow, that's not like my old job or that's not Mm. like our, the old industry? Yeah. So I think, um, Lunch breaks are probably oh, one of them. I would do you know you get them every day? It's insane. It's right? like every day. Yeah, it's awesome. No, look, um, <laughs> I think um, I sort of had the idea that I'd, you know, this new role would be just this really 
easy, but it's it's not. It's really challenging. Yeah. So that's like that's that's good in a way because I'm not clock watching. So I'm not looking at the clock going, oh, when's four thirty coming around? Yeah. I'm, I'm busy. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the big changes is I've gone from telling a story. Um, Looking at a story and thinking, you know, is this something that, you know, all of Queensland needs to know about? Why is this important? How is this news? Two, here is a story that impacts motorists and drivers because mm. I'm with RACQ. Um, how can I pull this story and um, do it to benefit our members, drivers, or um, the, the Queensland community who use our roads mm. and public transport systems? So it's sort of like... Um, really focusing um, storytelling on a particular angle. Mm. But also so, advocating as well. Yeah. You know, RACQ does a lot of a lot of that from, you know, w- what I can remember of getting, you know, 10,000 uh, media releases every week and talking to you guys pretty regularly. Mm. Um, so do you love it? Do you love it as much as you thought you were going to? I love it more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I, thought, I, I thought that it would just be a job that I'd walk into um, and just do my 7.6 hours and come home. But mm. I really, I really love it. I feel um, I'm in the news enough mm. to satisfy that itch because um, I get to do a little bit of spokesperson work, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, but also it's got that other angle in that we're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, our public policy team works really closely with government and other um other groups to you know for the benefit of of our members and and you know drivers and and people who use the roads and stuff in the world sorry in Queensland so that's really cool like that's that that other side of things that I had no idea happened yes you know it sort of happens underneath the surface which is really cool and so changing rounds essentially what was that like I mean obviously you went from from court slash crime to you know policies and you know fuel and motorists and completely different what was that like were you not freaking out I feel like I would have been freaking out if you know I had this round and I knew everything about it and then all of a sudden I'm having to learn something completely different totally it's like um imposter syndrome yeah I felt like no matter what I'd learned in my other industry Mm -hmm. I felt a bit cocky when I left my you know nine thinking oh you know it'd be great it'd be easy that first week oh my gosh I was like (laughs) right it is a rude awakening yeah I felt like I had imposter syndrome and at any moment Paul Turner was gonna tap me on the shoulder and go the jig is up yeah (laughs) you're out mate you know know, you're like you you don't know what you're talking about so it was a super um learning curve but thankfully everyone in the team was really great and really patient with me yeah and um and that was really good because I got to you know, dabble with a few different topics and things like that, learning about the fuel cycle, learning about mm-hmm. um, fuel in itself, all the different safety aspects we talk about, mm-hmm. um, the big Takata recall, which is the, of course. the airbag recall, yeah. you know, all these technical things that previously I would have no interest in whatsoever, yeah. learning the nitty-gritty about these things, thinking, oh, righto, that's really interesting. And, yeah. Or that's how um, that works. Yeah. And, yeah. Or, you know, um, oh, there's been a lot of uh, crashes on this intersection. Why is that? And then going over and talking to our engineers and going, hey, there's, this intersection's really rubbish. It's, uh, you know, it seems to be there's a lot of bingles there. What's going on? And them going, right, that's because it doesn't have this certain turning lane or mm-hmm. the light configuration isn't correct or mm-hmm. it's, it's on a little bit of a crest and that's not very safe. This is a black spot sort mm. of area and me going oh right and them saying 
we're all we're advocating to get funding for this so it changes and mm. and then when you see that funding's been allocated for that particular intersection or something for example you think oh you know that's that job that small component of my job chatting with people and um talking with our engineers and then working how to how to communicate mm. our message uh with the engineers and our public policy lobbying government for funding for those areas will save a life mm. and that's that's nice and warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it, it sounds vital because obviously, you know, as great as um, engineers or, or poly, poly uh, sorry, policy makers um, might be, they may not understand how to tell the story or, or how to get it across so that people actually understand what they're talking about. So oh, totally. Policy um, makers are really great at um, lobbying with government behind the scenes and chatting with those sorts of yeah. key um, movers and shakers yeah. in, in the industry. But when it comes to sort of rallying the troops, as it yeah. were, and communicating that message across to Queensland, our members and the media, yeah. that's somewhere where something where we step in and, um, and, and take control of that aspect because they do such amazing work, mm. but it would all fall flat if, if they weren't able to communicate it effectively so we've got a good team like that that picks the real nitty-gritty angles mm. um, out of their stories and um, are able to drop it as an exclusive to someone to try and, and get it you know higher up in a bulletin yeah. or you know does it go to the paper in the morning because we know it's going to get picked up by some of the other tv stations if, if it gets a good run in paper yeah. it'll get a good run widely is it something that we put on social media? Mm-hmm. Will that get more of our members engaged? And and making those decisions, figuring out which channel is going to be the most effective to get hit the most amount of people, catch the most amount of fish, as I like to say, mm. that's sort of integral, like really important, I guess, in um, our our role mm. and, and communicating those kind of messages. So it sounds like you're using a lot of the strategies that you. Um, had to to find and collect and collate stories as a journalist now into how you pitch or how do you promote those stories so going back into sort of that court and crime round um what sort of skills do you think it takes to be a good court crime reporter being a good court crime reporter is about being really thorough in your um, all your list checks mm. and your relationships. So um, it's one thing to look at a list and figure out if uh, a court list, for example, if something's going to be interesting. But mm. it's another thing to know who to ring, um, you know, whether you need to chat to a lawyer that you, you bump into in the street or, yeah. or um, you know, do you know a family member of that certain – of what that f- crime it, it, impacted or, or something mm. like that you know whether you need to start managing those relationships so being thorough and managing relationships is really important in the court mm. and crime world um and it carries straight over into the other industry mm. so you know making sure your checks and balances are right you know is the information correct uh, you, you know can we find something in this massive document that will be interesting to the motoring public yeah those it all carries over so definitely and- cross Cross using those skills. Yeah, definitely. And managing managing sort of relationships with people can be really difficult, especially in that round where, um, you know, they can be very protective of, you know, either their client or, you know, their own um, name sort of, you know, being released. Any advice then for people in that round, you know, how to... In a court or crime round, yeah. you need to know when... Um, when you need to protect your source. Mm. And there has been times where 
um, I've known something or, um, you know, I've had a conversation with a, with a, a lawyer or something and they've said, hey, this has got to be kept under wraps. We've still got X amount of, um, you know, court-related uh, steps to take before this can get out. Um, I'm happy to work with you, mm. but you need to sit on it. And, you know, your your journalist head is exploding. Mm. This is a great story. No one else has this. This yeah. will lead the bulletin. It'll be promo throughout the day. It'll be a massive win for me. Mm. But you, you, your person side... And your good dude side <laughs> needs to rein it in and go, nah, I need to protect this source. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that ma- might mean not telling the chief of staff that you have a bit of information, yeah. managing that information, um, and being a little bit tactical because you know that in a few weeks' time mm. um, it'll pay off. And I've had examples of that working because um, a lawyer and a client trust me they trust me to tell their story properly Mm -hmm. and um it's it's worked out in the end and has there ever been a situation where you've you've done exactly that you've protected the source you've you know guaranteed them that you're not going to run anything for you know a couple of weeks or until they come back to you or whatever it might be um and then they've burnt you you know they've then reneged or they've pretended like it didn't happen were there any moments like that yeah i've had um no one's ever gone to the opposition um, after talking with me, mm. which would be like the ultimate sin, yeah. the ultimate burn. <laughs> How could you? But um, I have been in a position where I've held off and mm. held off and been gently, gently, and then they haven't wanted to talk in the end. Mm. And, you know, that's really frustrating and, oh, you know, that sucks. My story's not going to get up. Mm. This is awful. But then you have to think, well, hang on a minute, this mother's daughter was killed in a, you know, a drug debt scenario. Mm. Why would she talk to me? Like yeah. that's and and you have to step out of the reporter role and go back into the um, the the human role and think. No, I I can see why. That's fair enough. It's not that big a deal. Mm. You know, I, I might have missed a story, but if it's going to make her feel really uncomfortable to talk about it or something like that, and she's just not comfortable with, you know either talking with me or the fact that maybe the case didn't go the way that she thought it would or something like that, mm. then, you know, you've just got to be happy to, to let it go. Yeah. And so looking back, um, you know, are there any cases that you covered or moments, um, you know, in your your career, you know, in news that has really stood out for you that have really made you feel like you made a difference or you felt really good about it at the end? I'm not sure if it's felt really good about it, but certainly felt that I'd told the story well. Mm. Um, My last year in court um, before I moved, I covered a large number of um, cases involving children Mm. and that was really difficult. Oh, I'm having a lot of fun with your little puppy. (laughs) Really? You're going to give her a kiss right now, huh? (laughs) It's my sunscreen. Um, (laughs) That's good. That lightened the mood. But... um, so my last year was spent, um, I did, I did uh, three cases involving children uh, under the ages of, of three um, killed by people that um, were meant to be protecting them. Yeah. And then yeah. um, I did Tiali Palmer. Um, of course. Yeah, a lot of the stuff leading up to uh, before her, uh, her uh, murderer pleaded guilty. So um, I had this year of um, children cases and it was just so unrelenting um, Mm. these poor kids who are in these horrible situations but I felt like 
at the end of the day, after all the horrible stuff we'd seen in court, um, that I that I told the story as well as I could, um, omitting the details that would have been horrific for the general public to have had to hear, but letting enough out so that they heard what they mm. needed to hear. And at least understood to a degree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I – well, I like to think I might have been part of the wider cog – a very small little speck part of the wider cog that led to um, a lot of reform within the uh, the industry in terms of um, how uh, child killers are punished now mm. after a big review that um, was undertaken. So, you know, I just feel like the media um, has a has an important role and uh, to to tell those really heartbreaking stories in a way that isn't sensationalist because it doesn't need to be; it's already horrific, mm. um, but in a way that's truthful and honest. So that if there is change that needs to be made, that that there there is a little more evidence behind it. This is why we need to make a change because this yeah. is a horrific thing that happened to this young child. And I, I just felt you know, while they were awful stories to cover, a part of me felt good about them afterwards. Yeah. Mm. And so what was that year like covering all those kinds of cases where – you as a re- reporter would try to you know put up a bit of a fence or a barrier between yourself and and the incident but ultimately as a human being it's hard not to feel something to feel personal mm-hmm. about it it is it is really hard to do that so because I'm in court and I'm in like a close-knit group mm-hmm. for example with a whole bunch of other reporters we would um often debrief afterwards and say, you know, God, that was awful, or, yeah. you know, what a grub, you know, that sort of thing, and, and talk about it and sort of have a little bit of a joke about it to try and lighten the mood. Mm. But um, there were countless times where I would look over um, at the other reporters in, in in the courtroom and see them in tears. Yeah. There were times where I'd be trying to make notes um, on my iPad and, and write and, and have tears dripping down my face. But – and and – I would worry if that didn't happen mm. because you can put, you can fill your bucket full of horrific stuff, listening to horrific stuff to a certain amount, mm. but sometimes it's going to spill over. And if it doesn't spill over, then I, I'd argue that was a worry yeah. because, uh, I don't know, for me, I found that if I, if I didn't have any feeling in about the story, about what I was hearing, then... Um, I wasn't listening mm. um, and I wasn't hearing and I wasn't putting myself in the shoes of this poor child who was, you know, in this position or or, or the poor rest of the family who had mm. to listen to this evidence about what happened to their granddaughter or their niece or something like that. So, yeah, I, it is really hard and you do compartmentalise to a point to get the job done. Yeah. But there are, there are times where you've got to just step back and think, oh, that was awful, mm. you know. Um, and often I would talk to my husband about it about what I'd seen and and what things were you know talked discussed because a lot of the stuff that we see in court is not fit for print it's oh not absolutely fit for airing yeah um, you know people would be horrified of the things that oh. you would have heard in that courtroom yeah I think so and the things that you know it's the same for police and emergency services when they go to mm. you know events and stuff like that you know I don't think people realize what um, regular other people have to put up with in their day-to-day job but and that's it's fine to to do that to a point, but um, I think you've got to be able to talk about it afterwards. So chatting with my um, colleagues down at court mm. from all different um, media outlets, and also chatting with my husband about you know what I'd seen that day was really effective. And um, 
and I think it's important. And of course, you know, for everything else, there is you can always go and talk to a professional about it. And I mm. think that that's a really worthy thing for people to do if they're struggling with what they're seeing at work because, you know, it's not woo-woo. It's not mm. talk about your feelings all the time. It's giving you – it'll help you get practical tips on how to um, manage the things that you're seeing in your day-to-day work. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, that's um, some pretty heavy stuff that we've spoken about. So let's talk about something a bit lighter, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, what, do you, what do you love about the industry? Like what's your favourite thing – when you think about journalism? Telling stories. Mm. I love meeting people and, um, and finding out what makes them tick, Mm. their interesting bits, their stories, their details. I, I, like I'm a fan of the embellished story. So (laughs) I like love a dinner party. I love being able to be like, Oh, you should have heard what happened to this person today. They did that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I love that sort of idea of, um, all these little worlds that happen, um, in various people's lives that you might Mm. be able to tap into and just get a little part of it. Mm. Um, I love being a know-it-all when it comes to to things and and often I get it wrong, but um, I do, yeah, it's the stories. And I think that in the social media age and, you know, us all being on our phones, um, a lot of the time we lose the art in being able to have conversation with people Mm. and I just feel really hashtag blessed that (laughs) in my life um, I've been able to still have those one-on-one conversations with people Mm. and even though I'm not paid to do it as a journalist like that anymore, I still feel like I do it every day. So yeah. that's yeah. a skill that, you know, I feel really um, happy to have learned and to keep doing. What do you wish you knew about the industry before you got into it? I wish that I had – someone had told me that no one was going to pat you on the back when you did a good job. And really? Yeah. Except your colleagues. So – your bosses will rarely sort of mm. be like, you know, oh, my God, you're amazing, Claire. You mm. did an amazing job. Well done, you, mm. blah, 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 blah. You'll get credit where credit's due, that sort of thing. Mm. But don't expect it every day. So don't get upset when you don't get it. Mm. Because for my first few years, when I did a good piece to camera or I, I got a good story up or I managed to track down the farmer who wanted to talk about the drought or something like that and told it in a beautiful way, I used to sit there and watch it go to air and then look around and be like, oh, They'll say good job. They'll say good job, Claire, in a minute. And everyone would just be like, yep, good. No worries. Let's keep going and put the next story to air. And I used to think, oh, my gosh, you have no idea how hard that was for me to pull together today. Yeah. You know, where's my praise? (laughs) (laughs) But it never came. So it took a long time for me to learn that that doesn't mean you've done a bad job. Yes. And that just means that you're just doing your job. So get over yourself, um, knuckle down, find the next yarn. And, you know... When you really pull a rabbit out of a hat, tell something beautifully, you will get a well done. Mm-hmm. And when when it happens, when an EP or a, um, a chief of staff tells you you've done a good job, you will never forget it. I never, have never forgotten the first time my EP told me that I'd done a good job on a storm story. And I, it was amazing. I think my, I went bright red when it happened to me and I just didn't know what to say. I'm like, what? Who, me? Who? Me? <laughs> You noticed me. I'm noticeable. <laughs> totally. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, what's I, happening right now? I know. Am I, I having totally, a stroke? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so what do you think some advice would be for 
journalists coming, you know, coming through the ranks who are struggling to do their job every day and, and, you know, want to be better, what advice would you have for them? I think it's about hard work, but also about having things outside work Mm. that are things that you love doing Mm. because, um, I'm not going to say work-life balance because that's, you know, said all the time. But I think you need to be able to have things that you love doing that don't have anything to do with work. So whether it's being able to exercise or, Mm. um, you know, whether you you love having a hobby or something like that or um, love planning holidays, you've got to have things that are completely uh, separate from the media world. And if that means you know you've got to have you'll have mates inside the media world and they will be your buddies for life Mm. but whether that means you need to have some family who are outside who can step out of the bubble and um and friends who are outside the bubble uh i think that's important too because it keeps you in touch with um the real part of society that isn't the echo chamber that can sometimes be media Mm -hmm. and so anything else you'd like to add in there any other advice you think you know, that you'd heard along the way that you feel really represents the industry or really represents what it takes to sort of push through the industry? I think being an honest storyteller will uh, will transcend every other quality that you have. Um, you know, being true to what's actually happened, you can tell a story well without being fake news Mm -hmm. or, you know, without, um, you know, overselling something that doesn't need to be oversold. So if a, if a story is a true story and it's able to be told beautifully and you have the language behind it to tell that story beautifully, you'll be able to go far. And, um, I think that that's, that's a really important skill to have, not only in, in, you know, if you're reporting or you're being a journalist, but everywhere being able to, um, you know, if you if you stay with journalism for the rest of your life, then more power to you, and you'll be able to use those skills every day in that familiar way. Mm. But if you if you move into different roles later in your life, you will still need to have those um, those skills of being able to be completely honest, completely truthful, but also be able to um, to tell something well. And balance. Yeah, and then it's funny that you say that you know, being honest and telling the truth is such an important part of what we do when I feel like a lot of people think that that's not what we do. Yeah, which is infuriating because we do. You know, um, the industry has to. We're held to account. Mm. Um, But, and that's something that, that, you know, I think will will continue. The good journalists will always be like Mm. that. And um, I hope that the rest of the community doesn't think that we go around and lie and tell porkies, especially TV journalists, because we you have to have proof that something's yeah. happened yeah. in the form of video. So, yeah. you know, but but you'll, you know, it's all those concepts of, of, you know, getting a talent over the line, being able to be honest with the, with the, with the talent. This is mm. what will happen to you, if, to you if you tell your story. These are, um, uh, is how we're going to use it. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to, you know, talk about what's happened to your loved one, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do it in a positive light and I'm going to, you know, make it more tributary than anything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very nice. If that makes sense. Definitely. Um, anything else you want to add in there, Claire, before we finish up? Uh, 
for young journalists? For anyone. Hmm. I think um, have fun when you can. Find those light bits in the job Mm. where you can sort of let your hair down and have a bit of fun with it. So if that means that um, a trip from one press conference to go and film a piece to camera means that you're smashing out really good beats with your cameraman, then do that because it helps um, (laughs) with those long days. You need to have a a bit of light. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Of course, a podcast like this simply wouldn't be possible without the support of the amazing organisation Women in Media, the Queensland-based team and the ever-wonderful Caroline Graham. She's a Walkley Award winner. She's been so supportive. I'm so thankful for having her. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. So if you've got any feedback, I would really love to hear it. So... Contact me on social media or contact me through the website. Until next time.